And once again, good morning. Can I uh, have you turn with me in your Bibles to the book of 2 Samuel, chapter 23. As we have been working our way through the book of 2 Samuel here at Calvary on Sunday morning, just about done. Should finish up next week, although I promise nothing. I think so. But um, let me just say this. as The last four chapters kind of just focus on different experiences in David's life, different things that he... uh, was going through, and uh, let, me, let me just say this. David is one of my all-time favorite Bible heroes. I love his ruggedness and courage. I love his reckless faith for God. He was a man's man. You remember how that David was anointed to be the king of Israel by Samuel the prophet while Saul was still on the throne because Saul was not working out. He was not obeying God. And so God had Samuel anoint David, the son of Jesse, to take Saul's place, but Saul was still on the throne. Now, when he found out that uh, David had been anointed to replace him, he purposed to hunt David down to kill him, to remove him as a threat to his throne. This led to 10 years of David running from Saul, hiding out in caves in the Judean wilderness. You know, one of the reasons I love David so much, though, is because He has such a tremendous heart for God. In fact, God calls David a man after his own heart because of his heart for the Lord. Now, while David was out in the wilderness running from Saul, word got out. uh, You know, that David was anointed king. Saul was trying to kill him. And so men from all over the land came and joined themselves to David. We read in 1 Samuel 22, verse 2, And everyone who was in distress... (laughs) Everyone who was in debt, everyone who was discontented, gathered themselves to David. So he became captain over them. There were about 400 men with him. Not exactly the kind of guys you think would make a good army. But as these men spent time with David, an interesting, interesting thing began to happen. A transformation began to take place. This ragtag group of misfits, malcontents, and outcasts became a super elite group of fighting men, possibly the the finest soldiers the world has ever known. However, in 2 Samuel 23, some of David's army were singled out for special mention and their exploits recorded, which won them the title of mighty men. Guys, these were the best of the best, the Green Berets and Navy Seals of their day. In the New Testament, of course, the son of David, Jesus Christ, is called our captain, and we who have joined ourselves to him are called his soldiers in 2 Timothy chapter 2. But guys, listen, there's a difference between being a soldier of Christ and becoming one of his mighty men. I use the term mighty man. I'm using it for men and women, okay? We're just taking it from the passage, though, all right? So if you hear me say mighty man, mighty men, girls, you're included, all right? But not everybody in David's army was awarded the title of mighty man. I mean... That was an honor bestowed upon the toughest and most valiant of David's soldiers. The question is, what does it take to be a mighty man of God? What are the qualities in a Christian life, a Christian's life, that would cause Jesus to bestow upon one of his own the title of mighty man or mighty woman? Well, to find out, let's take a look at a few of David's mighty men, because I believe they're being held up by the Holy Spirit to illustrate for us the qualities that God is looking for that make somebody a mighty man of God. The first one 
that is mentioned in verse 8 is a man named Adino. Now he's called the chief or one of the chief among the captains. He was called the mighty man because he had killed 800 men at one time. Now guys, the King James Version translates that he lifted up his hand and killed 800. The lifting up of hands in the scripture is analogous to prayer. We saw this when Moses led the children of Israel out of, the, out of uh, Egypt into the wilderness on their way to the promised land. The first group that came against them, God's people, were the Amalekites. And so at one point, Moses said to Joshua, you take the armies of Israel into the valley tomorrow. You engage the Amalekites in battle, and I'm going to be up on top of the mount with the rod of God in my hand, lifted up to God. And so we read this unusual story how that as Moses lifted up his hand to the Lord, well, the forces of Israel were energized and they began to be victorious. When his hand grew weary and began to fall, the forces of the enemy, the Amalekites, began to be energized. They began to win, right? So finally, Aaron and Hur get a big rock and slide it over, set Moses down on it, and they each got alongside him and, and grabbed his arm and they together kept his arm raised until Israel had completely won the battle. You say, well, when you first read it, you're thinking, what in the world is going on here? Guys, that was a picture of intercessory prayer. If I asked you just a quick cursory thing, where was the battle taking place? Most Christians would say in the valley with Joshua, the armies of Israel against the Amalekites. But you'd be wrong. The real war, the real fight was taking place on the mountaintop in prayer. This is how the battle is won. S.D. Gordon, who was a phenomenal prayer warrior, said, and I quote, Prayer is striking the winning blow. <laughs> Service is simply gathering up the spoil. The greatest thing anyone can do for God and man is pray. It is not the only thing, but it is the chief thing. The great people of the earth, he's talking about the greatest Christians, the mighty men and women of God, are the people who pray. I do not mean those who talk about prayer, nor those who say they believe in prayer, nor yet those who can explain about prayer, but I mean those people who take time to pray. And you know what? Sometimes we grow weary in prayer, don't we? I mean, you know, you're tired of praying for your unbelieving husband. You're tired of praying for your unbelieving wife. You're tired of praying for that unbelieving child. You don't, not that you don't love them. You're just worn out. We need prayer partners, people that will hold us accountable, people that will come alongside of us and say, look, we're going to pray with you. We're going to stand with you. We're going to, in a sense, hold up your arms to God so that together we can pray for your spouse, pray for your wayward child, pray for that job situation, whatever it might be. We need each other. This is what God, I believe, was demonstrating through this, that story. Moses was a type of intercessory prayer. Aaron and her were his prayer partners. And that's where the real battle was taking place. You think the real battle is taking place in the mission field? Well, some of it is, definitely. You can't be in the mission field. You can't go to Africa. You've got a family. You can't find. 
You can engage the enemy on your knees in prayer for that missionary or that mission organization and be just as much a part of the work God is doing through them, maybe even more so at times through your prayers. Guys, if you want to be a mighty man of God, you must be one that lifts up your hands to God in prayer, which is the only way the enemy is going to be defeated. Paul put it this way to Timothy, a young pastor, 1 Timothy 2, verse 8, I desire, therefore, that men pray always, everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. This is the number one priority, I believe, for a mighty man of God, mighty woman of God. That's why Adina was called a chief among the mighty men. I believe it's the men and women of God who pray fervently and consistently in the eyes of God. They are the chief. They are the, the greatest warriors. And in heaven, they will be rewarded more than any others, I believe. And guys, the secret of victorious prayer is persistence. Persistence in prayer is the key. Adina lifted up his hand 800 times. That's a lot of lifting. As Moses, his, his arm was raised to God in prayer, you might say. Well, as long as he kept it raised and Aaron and her helped him, finally the battle was completely won for the children of Israel. We often give up too quickly when we pray. Read Daniel 10. He fasted and prayed 21 days, and finally his answer broke through. We'll talk about this more Wednesday night, so I'm not going to get into it too much. But the angel who brought Daniel his answer to prayer said, when you first set yourself to praying, Daniel, I was dispatched. But the enemy withheld me these 21 days. But I have broken through through the help of, of Michael the archangel. And here is your answer from God. If Daniel would have given up the 20th day, I don't know if his answer would have ever gotten there. We must be consistent. We must not lose heart. Jesus said in Luke 18, verse 1, men, women, ought always to pray and not lose heart. You know, every time I, I talk on this kind of prayer, fervent prayer, consistent prayer, I know everybody in this room who has accepted Christ, you're sitting there thinking to yourself, yes, I know I should pray more. Yes, I want to pray more. You don't know how many times I've tried to be consistent in my prayer life. I always fail miserably. Pastor, I, I just feel so defeated in this area. I just feel so beaten down. I, I've just kind of given up that I'll ever be a prayer warrior. That's the devil. That's the devil trying to discourage you. But here's where you're wrong. Thinking if I try hard enough, I will gain the victory. This is also a trap of the devil. Everything that we need to live for Christ is given to us as a gift from God. It's called grace. We don't try harder. We abide longer. We don't, you know, Lord, I promise you things are going to be different. God says, I don't want you to promise me you're going to try harder. You're going to look to your own strength more. I want you to get in your face and just ask me, Lord, I need your grace in this area. And guys, your devotions is one of those areas. You need God's grace to be all that you, all we want to be, all he wants us to be. We can't accomplish our own strength. The sooner we realize that, the sooner we'll know victory. Paul says, when I'm weak, I'm strong. You know, Andrew Murray wrote a phenomenal book called Living a, a Prayerful Life. 
And he basically, in the book, states this very truth. He said, you know, so many Christians walk around so guilty because there's such miserable failures in their prayer lives. They want to pray more. They know there's power in prayer. They try, and they start out well, and they fizzles out, and they're just so full of condemnation and all. They don't understand something. The Lord Jesus will give them what they need to live for him. He says, Jesus is saying to you, just as I will cleanse you from all other sins, so also I will deliver you from the sin of prayerlessness. Only do not seek the victory in your own strength. Bow before me as one who expects everything from his Savior. Let your soul keep silence before me, however lame you feel your state is. Be assured of this. I will teach you to pray. I will give you grace to praise the idea. So Adino was a mighty man exemplifying prayer. The second mighty man we're introduced to was Eliezer. We'll call him man of the word. Verse 9. And after him was Eliezer, the son of Dodo. He was a mighty man because he had to fight a lot growing up, being called the son of Dodo. <laughs> you know, it's like the guy who named his son Sue. So he'd have to fight a lot, get tough, okay? Anyways, Eliezer, son of Dodo, the Ahohite was one of three mighty men uh, with David when he defied the Philistines who were gathered there for battle, and the men of Israel had retreated. He arose and attacked the Philistines until his hand was weary, listen, and his hand stuck to the sword. The Lord brought about a great victory that day, and the people returned after him only to plunder. So they all scattered. He stayed. He fought until the sword stuck to his hand won the victory, and then everybody came back and gathered up the spoil. But Eliezer held on to the sword so tightly, guys, in battle, it actually became molded to his hand. It literally became an extension of him. To be a mighty man of God, you must be a person whose hand sticks. The Hebrew is glued, glued to the sword until it becomes a part of you. Of course, the sword of the Christian is the word of God. Even as Paul said in Ephesians 6, 17, and while you're putting on the armor of God, remember to take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. You remember how Satan attacked Jesus in the wilderness. That's some pretty heavy spiritual warfare when the devil is attacking you directly. Every time Satan attacked Jesus, he hadn't eaten for 40 days, the Lord, 40 nights. He's hungry. So the devil was attacking him with, with powerful temptations. Every time the enemy attacked the Lord Jesus Christ with a powerful temptation to do something contrary to the will of his Father. He always used the sword of the Spirit three times. He said, it is written. It's interesting that Eliezer's name means God is my helper. In John 14, Jesus called the Holy Spirit the helper. It's also interesting that Eliezer and the sword are connected. In 2 Samuel 23, verse 10, even as Paul called the Word of God the Sword of the Spirit, connecting the two in Ephesians chapter 6. Guys, the Holy Spirit is telling us through this that you can't be a mighty man or woman of God if the Word of God isn't literally a part of you. If you're not holding on to it, that you, you know it, you can quote it, you know what it says, it's become part of you. If you have let the Word of God leave your hand in a sense... I. I always grieve when somebody leaves a Bible here. We put it on the table over there because I know next week they're going to come and get it. And it sits there for two, three, four weeks. Then we move it into the closet. And it sits there for another three months, six months. 
Sometimes we just wind up giving it away to a Christian bookstore. And I'm thinking to myself, I sure hope they have more copies of God's Word in their home that they're reading from. I hope they're not going without reading the Word, because I'm telling you, if you are not connected to the Word, if you're not, you know, it's not part of you, that you're reading it, you're studying it, you're meditating on it, and so on, well, you're going to be defeated. A Christian whose sword has been separated from them is easy prey for the enemy. Now, John Bunyan knew this very well in his classic Pilgrim's Progress, which most of you have read, all of you know about. Uh, there is a scene that he portrays in this allegory uh, in which uh, a terrible allegorical battle is portrayed between Apollyon, Satan, and Christian, the character that represents all of us. It goes like this. He said, Then Apollyon, seeing his opportunity, began to close in on Christian, and wrestling with him gave him a dreadful fall, and Christian's sword flew out of his hand. Then said Apollyon, I am sure of you now. And with that he had almost pressed him to death, so that Christian began to despair of life. But as God would have it, while Apollyon was preparing to take his last blow, thereby making an end to this good man, Christian nimbly reached out his hand and caught his sword, saying, Rejoice not in me, O mine enemy, when I fall I shall arise. And with that gave him a dreadful thrust, which made him back away like someone who had received a mortal wound. When Christian saw this, he went at him again, saying, Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. And with that, Apollyon spread his dragon wings and sped away, so that Christian saw him no more for a time. End quote. Look, John Bunyan knew that spiritual warfare is waged and won by how effectively a Christian holds on to and wields the sword of the Spirit. One pastor put it this way, Sunday quote, changing the analogy a little bit from the sword to the word being food. He said, are you wearing out your Bibles? I hope so. You must be in the word consistently and continuously. You cannot grow unless you're taking in consistent Bible teaching and Bible study. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God, Romans 10, 17. Your faith grows stronger as you take in the nutrients and spiritual calories of the meat of the word, end quote. If you're feeling drained, if you're feeling, you know, like, wow, you're so weak in the faith, are you reading your Bible? It's no mystery. Are you in the Word? If you said, Pastor, I'm feeling so weak physically, I'm ready to pass out. Well, why? What's going on? Have you been eating? No, I haven't eaten in a week. Well, it's no big secret. Eat something. Okay? Go get something to eat. If you're feeling weak in the Christian life, get into the Word. Get into the Word, right? So the third mighty man we're introduced to is Shama. We'll call him man faithful in service, verse 11. And after him was Shammah, the son of A.G., the Hararite. The Philistines had gathered together into a troop where there was a piece of ground full of lentils. Then the people fled from the Philistines. But he stationed himself in the middle of the field, defended it, and killed the Philistines. And the Lord brought about a great victory. You know, guys, many of Israel's battles with the Philistines were over crops. Because they were the staple of their diets, really. So crops, and many, many of these battles were actually over fields of crops and things. And stealing uh, your opponent's crops did two things. It gained strength and health for your side, but it also, you know, starved out, weakened, and even then eventually destroyed the other side, your enemy. David, no doubt, had assigned these men to guard this field because this was very 
food was life, very important. So he assigned a bunch of guys, including Shama, the job of guarding this field of lentils. Now, lentils are legumes, and that's a member of the bean family, and they're highly nutritious, providing not only complex carbs for energy, but also protein for muscle strength and repair. Again, very important to their diet. So David assigned Shama the job of guarding this field of lentils, and when the Philistines came to steal this crop, again, everybody split, but he saw it as his responsibility to stand his ground and fight. You see, in Leviticus 25, verse 23, God said, the land belongs to me. This is my land. I'm letting you use it that you might bring me glory. Leviticus 18, 24 to 30. Every Jew knew that the land belonged to the Lord. He had let his people occupy it. He was blessing them as they walked with him in obedience. But the land belonged to God. It was his territory. And Shammah didn't want the Philistines to capture and control what belonged to God Almighty, the God of Israel. For the Jews were his stewards, his stewards of his land. And therefore, Shammah was going to be faithful to his king, David, and it was God, even if it meant his life. And so when everyone else ran, Shammah stood firm against the enemy and, listen, was faithful in service. You know, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 2, it is required of a steward. A steward is somebody who doesn't own anything. They're just taking care of another person's property. We are all stewards of the household of God. We don't own anything. It's all his. We're just, he lets us take care of it, okay, and be blessed through it. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 2, it is required of a steward that they be found what? Faithful. Faithful. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. You be faithful. I know sometimes in ministry it's very difficult because you're working hard, you're working hard, and you don't see much of any fruit for all your labor. And so you're prone to say, you know what, I just want to give up. I just came from a pastor's conference. There's a lot of pastors, good men, married to good women in the Midwest, who are working full-time jobs, pastoring little churches of 15, 20 people, faithful for years. They're discouraged. But through the conference, we tried to encourage many of them that sometimes we don't see the fruit. We don't see any fruit of our labor, but God is working. We have to believe that, trust it by faith, just like in your ministry. One pastor had this to say, he said, and I quote, What has the Lord given you to do? Maybe your job is to change diapers in the nursery to serve in the rest home, or to teach third grade Sunday school. Stand your ground even when everyone else splits. Be like Shama until the king releases you. Stick with your job. Paul said it's required of stewards that be found faithful. We just quoted that. Jesus said that the one who is faithful in small things shall be made ruler over great things. He said, God is testing us today. Have we stood our ground? Have we kept our commitment? End quote. And again, guys, one of the great qualities of a mighty man of God is faithfulness and service. So many today have deserted their post or who have fallen to sin and removed themselves from service. I know several pastors, Calvary guys, of very large churches who are not in ministry anymore today because they fell to sin. You know, we hear a lot of talk in Christian circles about men of faith, women of faith, you know what? It's easy to stick a title on somebody. 
know what the church really needs today? Not men of faith. It needs faithful men and faithful women. Don't tell me you're a man of faith. Don't tell me you're a woman of faith. Show me by being faithful to your Savior, to your captain. This is what we need. Men and women who are loyal to their king and who are going to stand their ground and fight the enemy no matter what it takes. So the territory that belongs to our God won't be stolen by the devil. And guys, first and foremost, this would include fighting for the truth of God's word. We are living in a time unlike any I've ever seen, maybe never have seen in the history of our country, where the word of God is being attacked from so many different directions from without the church. But guess what? What makes this day so unique and doubly wicked is attacks are coming against the word of God from inside the church. You have Christians who don't believe the Bible is completely God's word. It contains God's word. It's not God's word in its entirety. Well, now you have a big problem. Because if the Bible is not God's word from cover to cover, but only contains God's word, now it's up to you, man, to tell me what is of God and what is not of God. Man now sits in judgment of God's word instead of God's word sitting in judgment of us. This is the problem today. Either God's word stands together or it falls apart. If it's not all God's word, then take it, because I, I, I don't know what is God's word or what is not God's word then. But I believe every word, down to the jot and tittle in the original, is God's word, inspired by him. We have to fight for the truth of God's word. Many are fleeing. Many are, are running away from that fight. Because you know what? They want to keep things real positive and real, you know, we don't want to fight about doctrine. That divides. We want to bring people together in unity. Sounds great, doesn't it? But you know what? The Bible is called the sword of the spirit. A sword cuts. It divides truth from error. And if I just try to focus on all the love and all the stuff that unites and I have in my church people who are living in sin, who embrace false doctrine. But you know what? I just want to make sure we have a big church where everybody is, you know, we do a lot of happy talk. Then you know what? I'm, I'm not being faithful to my king. I'm not being faithful to my king. So you've got to fight for the truth of God's word. Second, you've got to fight for your marriage. You know, marriages and family are under great attack today, more than ever before. Sitting there, we're at a pastor's and wife's conference just this weekend, okay? Came back yesterday. One of the guys that spoke, one of my favorite guys in the world, Pastor Mike McIntosh. For many years, Pastor Horizon Christian Fellowship in San Diego. His son is pastoring it now. Mike is doing all kinds of things. He's so busy, I can't even believe him. For serving the Lord. I remember Mike telling us a story at a pastor's conference years ago, 15 years ago, where he was in town somewhere to speak. Christian conference or something. It was a Saturday morning. He gets up. It's a beautiful day. I forgot where he was. Gorgeous day. So Mike decides he's going to take a jog. And as he's jogging, he's jogging past the park, and he sees a group of men all in a circle with their arms kind of around each other, heads bowed. It looks like they're praying, where well, they were praying. He figures it must be a group of Christian men. He runs up there to join the prayer group, and to his horror, they are Satanists. And they have, telling you the truth, they have a list of all the pastors in town by name, all their wives by name, all their kids by name. They're praying that pastors would fall to adultery, wives would fall to adultery, kids would wind up being uh, uh, taken away through false doctrine, families would be, would be destroyed, ministries destroyed. 
This is what we are up against. You wonder why you're having a bad day here and there. You don't know who's praying against you. And if you don't put on the whole armor of God and take this battle seriously, we'll talk about that in a few minutes, you're going to be wiped out. They fought the Philistines back then. You know who we fight today? We don't fight Philistines anymore. We have another enemy that's just as strong, the flesh. And Satan's pushing the buttons of the flesh, trying to get us to lust after things that will take us away from God. You've got to stand and fight, guys. Let the devil not steal away what belongs to God. Your family belongs. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, your family belongs to God. Don't you dare let the enemy take your family. Don't you dare let the enemy take a brother and sister away you know, through alcoholism or drug. Well, what do you want me to do? Pray for them? I haven't seen you in church in a few weeks. Yeah, I haven't been doing so well. All right, next Sunday, I'm going to come to your house. We're going to go to church together. We need to be a family. We need to be supporting each other, holding each other accountable. The fourth example of a mighty man of God is David himself. We'll call him man of worship. Verse 13, Then three of the thirty chief men went down at harvest time and came to David at the cave of Adullam, and the troop of the Philistines encamped in the valley of Rephaim. David was then in the stronghold, and the, and the garrison of the Philistines was in Bethlehem. And David said with longing, Oh, that someone would give me a drink of water from the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gate. So three of the mighty men broke through the camp of the Philistines, drew water from the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate, and took it and brought it to David. Nevertheless, David would not drink it, but poured it out to the Lord. Now, as I said, David becomes the fourth example of a mighty man of God, a title that David uh, received when he killed Goliath. As a, he was a teenager when that happened, maybe 16 uh, years old. And God, of course, gave David the victory over Goliath, won David a title of mighty man. King Saul was so impressed, he made David captain over part of his army. And as David went out, of course, God was with him. As David went out, went out fighting against the Philistines with his guys, so many Philistines they killed, so many, that it, it produced a new song. It was a top ten hit in Israel at that time. You remember one of the lines? Saul has killed his thousands, but David is tens of thousands. But here David is not called a mighty man for how many Philistines he killed. He's called a mighty man because he was a worshiper of God. When David's three guys, mighty guys, mighty men, heard him say how much he longed for a drink of water from the well of Bethlehem. Remember, David grew up in Bethlehem. He had drunk from that well many times. That's what he's remembering. He's talking out loud. He's not ordering his guys to do anything like that. He's just saying, oh, somebody would bring me a... Israel is a very dry, arid climate. If any of you have gone or lived in arid climates, you know, places in the country where there was very arid, dry, you know that it sucks the moisture out of your body so that you have this raging thirst. David was probably so thirsty he couldn't think of anything but water. He's thinking out loud, oh, I wish I could have a drink from that well. Oh, you know. It wasn't an order. It was just expressing a desire. And so three of his guys, who loved their king, wanted to make the king happy, decided they were going to get David a drink of water from that well. And even though Bethlehem was surrounded by Philistines somehow, they broke through the enemy lines, risking their lives to bring David a skin of water from the well of Bethlehem. Well, when they brought it back, and remember again, they risked their lives to do this, and gave David a skin of water thinking he would be so happy he was kind of horrified when he saw what they did. And he refused to drink the water. Because in his heart, no doubt he reasoned, these men risked their lives to bring me a drink of water. This is blood water. 
the blood belongs to God. The life is in the blood. I mean, nobody should do something like an act of devotion like this to bring any man something like a drink of water. This is devotion and sacrifice that is reserved for God alone. And he poured it out, wouldn't drink it. In Exodus 30, uh, they had what was called the drink offering. It was called a libation, where they would pour sometimes water out uh, in worship. Water was life. So you were basically offering the water to God. He gives the water through the rain and so on. And you are offering it back to God as a form of worship. Now, guys, let me just say this to you. And we're going to talk about this more next week, so I'm not going to get into it very much at all. David took that skin of water, which at that moment, guys, I'm convinced was the most precious thing. If you've ever been really, really thirsty, in high school, I played football. In the summer, August, hottest part of the year, we had double practices morning and afternoon, and they always ended with wind sprints. We have to sprint as fast as you could for 20 yards, over, over, over. You talk about thirsty. I've never known thirst like that. At that moment, I'm convinced this skin of water was the most precious thing David had. And yet he was willing to pour it out to his God as a libation, as a sacrifice, as an offering. We're going to see next week, it reminds us of a woman named Mary who poured out the most precious thing she had to worship her Lord and became literally, uh, maybe David here, but Mary of Bethany, the greatest example of worship in the Bible. She exemplified what worship was all about. True worship is costly. We'll see that more next week. But David poured out what was most precious. What, what is most precious to us? Because Paul the Apostle said in Romans 12, verse 1, you know, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Talking about sacrificing to God. Well, we are those sacrifices. Offering your bodies, your sum total of your life is the idea, as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. What is most precious to us? Probably most would say our time today. Are we giving God the best of our day, the best of our time? Are we giving him the leftovers of our day, if we have any? Sorry, Lord, I wanted to spend a little time with you before bed. I'm, I'm too tired. I, I, tomorrow. We do that all the time, don't we? We offer God the leftovers of our day. We offer God the leftovers of our money. You know, we, if we spend everything we want to buy and go out to eat and everything else, there's a few bucks left, we'll give it to God, maybe. And believe me when I tell you, God doesn't need your money. But you need to give it. And I'm not saying here. I'm just saying you need to give it. Because if you're going to learn how to be a worshiper, which is all about sacrifice, we have to learn to give up for our Lord. Because that's what a worshiper does. All right, I'll give you one more. The final mighty man is Benaiah. There's others, and you can read the whole passage. These are the ones that the Holy Spirit kind of gave us a little insight into why they were mighty men. We'll call Benaiah man of the staff. Man of the staff, verse 20. Benai was uh, the son of Jehoiada, son of a valiant man from Kabzeel, who had done many deeds. He had killed two lion-like heroes of Moab. He had also gone, gone down and killed a lion in the midst of a pit on a snowy day. And he killed an Egyptian, a spectacular man. The Egyptian had a spear in his hand, so he went down to him with a staff 
wrestled the spear out of the Egyptian's hand and killed him with his own spear. These things Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, did and won a name among three mighty men. Listen, Benaiah didn't let the pit, the cold, or the snow stop him from taking on the lion or the Egyptian, right? Look, a mighty man doesn't let his circumstances stop him from doing battle against Satan, who the Bible says goes about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. You know, you know, it's just amazing to me how soft the body of Christ has gotten in this day. You ask people, hey, we got this new ministry. Would you like to come and be a part of it? Well, pastor, this is not really a good time for me. I like sitting on my couch watching TV. That's really, they don't say that, but that's basically the gist of it, right? Well, you know, is this ministry watching TV? If I can do it on my couch watching the TV, then I'm, I'm, I'm in. No, it's not that. But, you know, we're all waiting for the perfect, you know. My pastor used to like to say, you know, a lot of Christians won't come to church when it's raining out because it's too nasty. But they won't come to church when it's sunny out too nice. They might want to go do something outside. It has to be the, just the right day for them to come to church. It's a lot of fair-weather Christians like that, you know. Every little circumstance, it, it, it means it's not an opportune time. No matter what they're going through, it's always, it's, there's always something. Well, maybe I'll serve next week or next month. But right now, it's always an excuse. A mighty man or woman of God doesn't let their circumstances stop them from doing battle against the devil. One pastor put it this way, said, and I quote, You may feel like you're in a pit, like it's winter in your heart for God, and your walk is all snow and ice, but you can't let that stop you from doing battle with the enemy. There is too much at stake, end quote. You know what's at stake? Your family. Your unsafe family. Or sometimes your safe family. The devil is trying to destroy their walk. Look, this Egyptian, this that Benaiah killed, seven and a half foot guy, right? Big guy, had a spear. What did Benaiah do? Jumps into the pit, uses his staff to wrestle the spear out of his hand and kills him with his own spear. The staff, though. He used the staff to defeat the giant. Egypt in Scripture is the type of the world. We know that. This this Egyptian guy represented the world, people of the world that come against us. And the staff in Scripture is a symbol for the what? Pilgrim. Read Hebrews 11. How that we are all pilgrims passing. This is not our home. We are all pilgrims passing through our real home is in heaven, right? So therefore, we are not to be entangled with the cares of this life, which the devil will use to dangle in front of us to get a sidetrack, to distract us, get us off the trail, right? Again, um, John Bunyan in his book, Pilgrim's Progress. At one point, Christian and faithful, who represent all the Christian community, on their way to the celestial city, we're all on our way to the celestial city, had to pass through Vanity Fair, a place where all these merchants were selling all these wares, you know, all the things of the world that you can't live without? See it on TV all the time. You can't live without this product, you know? You, you can't do without this or that. And so all the merchants that were passing through Vanity Fair, these two believers, all the merchants were trying to distract them, waving their, their merchandise, trying to distract them to leave the path and to come over and get sidetracked with some bobble of the world. 
At one point, Christian and Faithful put their fingers in their ears and looked up to heaven and said, God, guard my, our eyes from lying vanities. It's a good thing to do. You know, guys, if you look at this life from the eyes of man, if you look at this world through the eyes of flesh, it is a spectacular place, isn't it? Full of all kinds of things you can't live without, things that will make you happy, experiences, material things. It's an illusion. These are empty counterfeit it's junk like fake jewelry it shines it sparkles but there's no value to it when you compare it to the things of heaven keep your eyes on things above not on the things of the earth that is how you will have victory keep your eyes on heaven again a mighty man never befriends the world he fights against the world as benaiah did all right very quickly a mighty man or woman of God is, a, first of all, a man of prayer, a man of the word, someone who is faithful in service, a worshiper giving up what is most precious to their Lord, a person who doesn't let their circumstances keep them from doing battle with the enemy. They fight no matter what because too much is at stake. You think soldiers on the battlefield wait for the sun to be out and be a nice day for they fight in the battle? They don't have the luxury. They fight regardless of the conditions or circumstances. You wait for things to be perfect you know before you get involved in ministry you'll never be involved in ministry and a mighty man of god is one who overcomes the world by never getting entangled uh, tangled up in uh, the things of this world because they see themselves as pilgrims passing through the world let me just say this there's a few more things i wanted to say but let me just say this in closing and you can read second um, timothy 2 verses 3 through 4 how paul encourages us uh, that we as soldiers have to endure hardships you will never endure hardships in the Christian life if you don't first have the mind of a soldier. You could have the finest armor, body armor, weaponry money can buy. But if you have no heart for the fight, if you don't see yourself as a soldier of Christ, too many Christians see the Christian life as a playground, not a battleground. And when hard times come and the enemy attacks, they blame God. Why are you allowing this? You promised me you know, all these goodies you promised me and all these blessings. Why are you allowing this to happen? They see it as an imposition, that God is letting them down, a little hardship. God's trying to toughen them up for battle. They don't see it that way. You will never be victorious as a good soldier of Jesus. You'll never be a mighty man or woman of God if you don't have the mind of a soldier which says, I am in a battle. It's a battle. I'm serving my captain, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a fight for people I love who don't know the Lord. It's a fight for brothers and sisters who do know the Lord. The devil's trying to peel away and, and take out of the, the fight. If I don't see that in the Christian, if I don't understand that, and if I don't have a, a heart to fight, God can give me, he's given me the armor I need, give me the greatest weapons I need, prayer and the word of God, meaningless. Won't do you any good. You'll be a defeated Christian because if you don't have the mind of a soldier that says, when I gave my heart to Christ, I enlisted in his army as one of his soldiers. And whatever my captain says, wherever he directs me to go, I will do that. Too many Christians are A-W-O-L when it comes to spiritual warfare. They're not fighting the good fight of faith. Why? Because they're double-minded, trying to serve God and the world. You have to serve God or the world. You can't serve both, Jesus said. And if you try, you are going to be a defeated Christian. 
you'll never be a mighty man or woman of God. You got to be all in or then just forget it. Don't hold the rest of us back. Okay? If you're not all in, you're just playing games. We're going to spend most of our time trying to heal your wounds because you're going to be target practice for the devil. You know how much energy in the body of Christ is used up because we're trying to minister to Christians who don't want to really fight, who just want to be taken care of and constantly falling to different sins, and we're trying to pick them up, and they're weighing us down. We need to be those who are serious-minded. May God give us the grace to do that. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word, and we do want to be mighty men and women of God, Lord. We want to earn the title of mighty man, mighty woman of God, because we're serious-minded. We're all in. We're not fair-weather Christians trying to serve both you and the world, Lord. Give us grace to be have that mindset that, Lord, are, we exist, we live to glorify your name, to fight your battles, that we would see souls delivered from the devil, uh, for the kingdom. Any that, that he has taken captive, Lord, we would, by your grace, go in and fight for and release and save. Lord, give us grace. The battle is going to get worse as the, t- the days go on. The devil is ratcheting up his attacks. We pray, Lord, that you'll give us grace to to stand firm, having done all to stand, put on on the whole armor of God every day, taking the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, and holding it so tightly it becomes molded to us that it becomes an extension of who we are. We love you, Lord. We thank you. The victory is ours. You've promised it to us. But we have to have the mind of a soldier and utilize all the weapons, all the armor, and fight the good fight if we're going to see victory. Give us grace, Lord. We ask all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.